1: Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galena, and as always, I'm joined by my talented co-host, Scott Chu. How's it going
2: today, Scott? I'm doing great. I'm not usually called talented, so to have that happen to me so early in the morning here on on a Saturday morning feels great. This is going to be a great weekend, Joe.
1: Well, it's deserved, and to give listeners a reference point, we are recording this podcast on Saturday morning, April 17th, and, uh, another fun week of baseball there, Scott, uh, we're still early enough in the season where your fantasy team can go from worst to first rather quickly. It's also early enough in the baseball season where you could have games postponed due to snow, Scott.
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, April, I always forget about this in April and I don't know why, but the weather in April is weird. That's why we have so many off days. That's why like, you know, a month from now, Fridays are going to be the day where everybody plays. You know, we might see a postponement or two or whatever, but everybody plays. All games are scheduled, and they're not Mm -hmm. right now because MLB knows we're gonna have postponements. The only thing that was nice about this was they did it before game time. Mm -hmm. They told us well in advance. That was really nice. Maybe that's a new future. Teams will actually look at the weather report for several hours ahead and just make a call. That's that was a beautiful thing.
1: There's so much data out there, you know, with satellite pictures and whatnot, so there's no excuse For them not to do that, so but hey, like I said, lots of fun this past week. We got to see the Dodgers and Padres this weekend. Fernando Tatis back in the lineup there. Scott hit a home run in his return Friday night. Got to see a little, a couple of his at bats, and doesn't seem like he's swinging with any hesitation. Right, seems to be swinging as hard as ever, and of course hit that home run.
2: Does anyone in their early twenties do anything with hesitation? You know, do they, do they ever hesitate? So, I mean, one, it was great to see the home run and, you know, I, I'm in some Facebook groups. I'm on Twitter. So many people keep telling me this is, this is a problem. This is a serious injury. This I can't believe he's back so soon. My first thing is, I'm sorry. I don't remember when you got your medical degree. <laughs> right. right. Uh, and, and number two, it's that, you know, like, okay, so what? Like, so you think the injury was serious. So what are you selling? I'm sure as heck not, right? I mean, I know there's people out there saying this is the time to trade Tatis because he he's not actually healthy and this is going to turn sour. Maybe it is. But who's buying?
1: Exactly. I mean, it's like exactly the worst time to sell because you're yeah.
2: selling at his lowest value. Who, who are you? Like, <laughs> we don't tell you to sell low, right? Mm-hmm. That's not how this works. And unless you're getting a top 10 player because that's what Tatis can be if he is healthy, what are you trading him for? Right? Like. What are you doing? Do you want to be the one that traded to Tatis and it turns out he's actually okay? Yeah. Okay. So you want to project in some missed time? Maybe his games played the seasons more like 140 than 160, right? Maybe even 130. He can still be a top 10 player in that time. Mm -hmm. He's that good. He's that talented. I'm not concerned. And if you are, that's okay. But I still don't think you should do anything about it. You should just be weary, I guess. You know, be ready to jump on the wire when you need a replacement shortstop, or maybe already have one on your team. That's a smart thing. Have Mm -hmm. someone else who's shortstop eligible, either trade for someone, get someone who's also shortstop eligible. But otherwise, I think you got to hold. This is potentially one of the best players in baseball on a per at-bat basis. And I just don't see how anyone could get rid of him unless you're getting a truly top-level player in return.
1: I agree. I agree. And, uh, I mean, you asked me last week – are you going to be able to get a Ronald Acuna back for him? And right now, no, <laughs> right? No, one's going to trade Jacunha Acuna for uh, a Tatis. Uh, maybe if he has a, a great rest of the season and you feel concerned that this is an injury that's going to linger throughout his career, uh, you know, you think maybe you could work out a deal where you trade Tatis for a, a Bieber. Great starting pitcher like that.
2: You can, if you want, I won't. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, again, there, there are real concerns to have, and if you are in the medical field, you understand how this injury works, mm-hmm. and you have a certain opinion, you go for it. I mm-hmm. do not. Right. I went to law school. But they don't <laughs> teach you about shoulders there. That's not what <laughs> happens in law school. They teach you about a lot of stuff you don't need to know, but they don't teach you about shoulders, and I don't know much about this labrum thing. I know what I'm hearing from people who are medical experts who tell me there is something for concern here, but it can be managed. Mm-hmm. It can be played through. And so if he's on the field, I want him on my roster. Look, in Dynasty, if you can get, again, a top 10 overall Dynasty asset, mm-hmm. be- and you feel that this is a long-term thing, that this will impact, that you have lowered to on your actual board, like you've got that kind of cojones, that you've lowered to on your Dynasty board, and you can get someone around his range, and you'd feel better about it, I won't stop you. I'm just saying I haven't done that. Right. <clears throat> you might have. Reasonable people could do that. I just haven't, because other reasonable people won't. And, and that's okay. But just understand that it's not an obvious thing. You, have, you don't have to do anything. You can just rely on what you've got. So that's all I'm saying is my projections haven't changed much. I'm maybe changing how many games he plays. But mm-hmm. I still think he's a top 10 player. And I don't think anyone would give me one back.
1: And uh, nothing scientific to this, Scott, but do you ever notice that when a good player, particularly a power hitter, comes off the I.L., they just tend to hit a home run in their first game back. Is that just me? Or like I said, I don't have any, you know, scientific data to back this up, but it just seems that, you know, every time a power hitter comes off the IL, it seems that that, that first game back, they hit a bomb.
2: Yeah. It's like, it's like the classic sex Panther, right? Like 60% of the time they do it every time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I, yeah. I, you know, I don't have any, anything scientific there either. I think <laughs> that, <clears throat> If if I had, you know, when I play soccer, which is so different than what we're talking about, when I play soccer and I've been gone for a while. When I come back, I do seem to be like in a bit of a groove, right? Mm-hmm. Once I'm warmed up, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. And maybe it's just because I'm, I'm a little healthier. I don't have the normal wear and tear. You know, my knee's not sore. My shoulder's not a little sore. My elbow doesn't hurt. So I'm a little fresh. Maybe that's it. I don't. Know, there's, there's nothing scientific here. If if you're looking for fantasy insight on this, I don't have any. But it it does happen, and and these guys do get refreshed taking some time off. That's the reason they're on the IL, is to Mm -hmm. get healthy. And during the regular season, guys are healthy enough to play, but they're always beat up just a little. Right? you can't do athletic activity that many days in a row and not have bangs and bruises and soreness. Like I don't remember the last time I woke up and my neck and at least one of my neck and back didn't hurt, right? And I don't even do athletic stuff. <laughs> and so like that You're happens to these guys that, too. God, come on and yeah. And, and so they do feel healthier when they come back, mm-hmm. but you know, it's important for hitters. It's not such a big deal for hitters. You should activate them immediately. But as mm-hmm. Nick Pollock, our fearless leader will tell you for pitchers, it can be different, right? Because there's so much touch and feel to that. There's other concerns about how deep they'll be allowed to go in that game. It's different, but for hitters, generally I activate them immediately. And
1: from the no kidding department, I mentioned Acuna and he's just been a one man wrecking crew uh, carrying fantasy teams on his back, uh, batting four seven home runs, 14 RBI in his first 13 games. Obviously those numbers speak for themselves, but I'll just throw it out there and we could just move on because he's really good. But one thing that I like about him even more this season is that he's really become a, a more disciplined hitter there, Scott. Last season. Just under 30 percent K rate this season, 15.3 chase rate dropped from 20 last season to 14.3 this season. I love it when a good player does something to make them even better.
2: That's what makes them great players, Mm. right? I mean, that's what we see when you're good, right? It's really hard, I think, for young players to understand that to stay good, you have to make changes. You have to do new things. One of the reasons Mike Trout has been so dominant for so long is because he does make adjustments. He goes through highs and lows and he always bounces back. And he does that by changing little things, right? Like even if you watch MLB network, like Pete Rose has this whole thing about what he did when he went through slumps. And, and regardless of your feelings on Pete Rose, like he was an excellent hitter. Oh
1: my God. And yes. He
2: went through slumps too. Every mm-hmm. player does in, in seeing how they bounce out of them. So, you know, there's no way Acuna went into the offseason not seeing that he struck out 30% of the time. There is mm-hmm. no way that the Atlanta analytics department didn't wasn't in his ear saying, we got to take a look at these strikeouts. What do we do? Right. It's cool that apparently he's done something right. He, he's chasing mm-hmm. less. He's seeing the ball incredibly well. But something that, again, there's no action here because no one is trading you Acuna. He's not available <laughs> in most leagues. But if you've got him. That's what you have always wanted to see. You wanted to see players make adjustments. Mm -hmm. Sure, you were good for a while. Lots of players can be good for a while. We'll talk about a bunch of them later. But Mm -hmm. how do they go through like a slump or have something come down? Do they bring it back up? How do they do that? The fact that we can see that right now with Acuna, that's the amazing thing. That's what tells me for the next decade, Acuna is a fantasy force.
1: Absolutely. And a great point that you mentioned before because – Look, it's an opposing pitcher's job to find ways, find weaknesses uh, that will help them to have better success against you. It's a pitching coach's job. So uh, on the other side, pitchers and pitching coaches are going to look for your weaknesses. So it's important for you as a a hitter, uh, like we've mentioned, to look for ways to improve as well. And uh, Carlos Rodon has done some things to make him a little bit better, right? Through a no-hitter this week. Second no-hitter of the young season there, Scott. Almost the perfect game. He uh, hit Robert Perez in the foot of all places in the ninth inning. Rodon, overall number three pick in the 2014 draft. Had Tommy John surgery in 2019. Last season just pitched uh, seven and two-thirds innings with an 8.22 ERA. Sox non-tendered him this past offseason. And that was a wake-up call. He committed himself to a healthier diet, made some mechanical changes to his
2: delivery, and look, the rest is history. Yeah, so far, right? Uh, it's a little bit of history. It's not very much. I think uh, I thought Nick did a really nice job talking about some of the things that happened here. Number one, the adrenaline. His mm-hmm. velocity was way up towards the end of this game. He added like four or five miles per hour to his fastball as the game went on. Amazing. Right. And, and, I mean, we've seen – the last guy I can think of that's done – I'm sure more have done this. But, like, Justin Verlander was famous for this, starting out a game at, like, 93, 92, and ramping it up to 97, 98, 99, even 100 when he threw a no-hitter against the the Blue Jays long ago, back in his Tiger days. And, like, that's really cool. The slider looks good. That was always, like, a big weapon for uh-huh. Rodon was, was that slider. We We've been thinking about that forever. I think the main takeaway here is not that he's some – Elite pitcher yet. What we know is that he's definitely healthy. He's definitely pitching better than he has in a very long time. And obviously, he's been scooped up in every league. By the time you're listening to this, uh, he, he's certainly worth some fab. I mean, you're not going to be able to spend fab on him, but you know, he, he's worth whatever you know, probably whatever you paid for him, as long as you didn't way overcommit. But again, the big thing here, we've seen a lot of very average guys get no hitters too, right? Uh, Armando Galarraga got one, right? Like Mm -hmm. average players can do this. What was nice was that the pitches looked good. This wasn't just a bunch of weak contact. Mm -hmm. This was good. You know, this was good pitching and that, you know, he's certainly on his way to the 50 to 75 range at starting pitchers. If we can see a couple more outings.
1: Yeah. Sticking with pitching, but this time looking at the bullpen slash closer carousel, and basically reinforcing what you've been preaching is sometimes you don't have to spend a lot of money on closers because we're looking at all these bullpen changes, these closer changes. Mariners uh, looking to move away from Rafael Montero as their primary closer. He's blown three saves so far this season. Looks like Kendall Graveman seems to be the guy, but then you have uh, Keenan Middleton has gotten two saves this season as well. We talked about Yimmy Garcia last week, and lo and behold, Looks like he's the Marlins closer, had three saves and a win in his last four appearances. And Anthony Bass all of a sudden as a setup guy, seems to be pitching a lot better, which maybe that's what he suited for. And then uh, with the A's, Lou Trevino seems to be their new uh, A's closer, converted his last two uh, save opportunities for a suddenly hot A's
2: team. Yeah, I mean, the A's have a pretty decent schedule coming up. That's going to be a good You know, that's going to be a good little move for them. Trevino's been a decent guy in their bullpen. I think the one thing I want to say about every bullpen so far is when a bullpen looks to be in turmoil, don't just look for the guy with the best stuff. Stuff is not an easy indicator for who's going to move in a closing role. Generally speaking, you want to look for the role. You know who usually becomes the closer when a closer loses his job? The setup guy. The eighth inning guy. Happens almost every time. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but we've, we've seen that there's a direct correlation. Your role in the bullpen turns into your next role in the bullpen, right? If you were the eighth, you're the ninth. You were the seventh, you were the eighth. So keep your eyes on that. Don't fall for the skills trap. Keep looking for the role. If you think a ninth inning guy is going to lose his job, the best bet to take that job is the eighth inning guy.
1: Mm-hmm. Blue Jays lost two closers in a week. <laughs> just to remind you that the Jays lost their presumed closer to start the season, Kirby Yates to Tommy John surgery. Then they find Julian Merriweather's pitch and lights out. Seems to take the job goes on the IL Wednesday with an oblique strain. Then late on Thursday, the Jays announced that Jordan Romano, who is supposedly going to might not have been the primary guy to replace Merriweather, but was going to be a guy that was going to get a lot of save opportunities. He goes down with a nerve issue in his throwing elbow. David Phelps recovering from a back contusion. So it looks like Rafael Dolis could be the man in their bullpen finale. He saved four games and struck out 14 in eight innings for the Jays last September.
2: Yeah, very true. But here's the thing. So Julian Merriweather got those two saves on opening weekend. Probably not on anyone's roster, right? No one really got those. But everyone picked him up because he looked Mm -hmm. like the closer. How many saves do you think the Blue Jays have since then? It's it's one. They have oh, one. one. Okay. Do you know who got it? Uh, not off the top of my
1: head. It,
2: Tommy Malone. <laughs> Tommy Malone has that one save. I believe it was a multi-inning save, right? Former starter for the Twins, Tommy Malone, and a bunch uh, of other teams. Here's the thing. The reason I bring that up. We nice. don't actually know what the heck is going on in the Blue Jays' bullpen. We don't actually know that Julian Merriweather was the closer. We know that he got two saves. We don't know that Jordan Romano, when he comes back, isn't the closer. Because Mm -hmm. they've only had one save since then, and it was certainly not the presumed closer. Mm -hmm. All I want to point out is it's early in the season, and unfortunately we're going to have situations like this. We don't actually know anything. We know Julian Merriweather got two saves on, like, back-to-back days. And then he's pitched well. They haven't had another save since then. This could still be a platoon when everyone comes back. This could still be a closer by committee. We don't actually know. And that's all I want to stress. Yeah, well, right yes. now, the one thing Dolis has for him is that everyone else is hurt. Closer by survival, right? <laughs> yes. Last man standing. He is that for a while. But when these other guys come back, we don't actually know what's going to happen, especially if Dolis is not 100% lights out during that time it's an opportunity for him to win the role. That's cool. But if you've got Romano, I'd be keeping him on my IL because I cannot say for sure that he won't get save chances soon. There is no evidence really to suggest that he's not on the closer list for the Blue Jays because they just haven't had opportunities. The way they've won games has not led to save opportunities. And that's the thing about closers, right? Especially if you're in a week-to-week league, like a weekly head-to-head. Don't worry so much about saves because you can have a really good closer go two weeks without a save. It's not that weird. It's really not. Yeah. You know, a team slumps and they don't get them. A team is rocking the baseball. They're not keeping it close enough, right? I mean, these things happen. So we are so early on. We're not getting a lot of real news yet unless the team comes out and calls a guy the closer. That's the real news. Everything else, speculation at best.
1: And I doubt we're ever going to see the Blue Jays' manager come out, uh, Montoyo, and say that this guy's my closer because even after Kirby Yates went down, he was reluctant to name a specific closer. He said, you know, basically, I'm just going to go best guy out there. So great point on your part. And let's continue just a little bit about injuries since we talked about the Blue Jays' injuries. I was reading an article on Fangraphs by Chet Gutwin, uh entitled, A Look at Very Early 2021 Injury Trends. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but look, leading up to the season, Scott, a lot of us were wondering how last year's crazy 2020 season with the stop and start of, of spring training and the abbreviated time that was played, the 60 game schedule, how that was going to affect some players. And uh, it's early, but it looks like we've got some pretty encouraging news. The article I referenced in comparing injury data from the 2018 season to the present 2021 season has the lowest injury rate for the first 12 days of the season so uh, but the article goes on to state that the highest frequency of injuries typically happen in the first month of the season so even though we've seen some pretty big names and we'll discuss one coming up now it looks like we're getting off to a good start so far
2: yeah tell that to my fantasy teams <laughs> some of them where the il's just filled up but it is random. It does happen a lot early in the season. You got to just be ready to roll with it. It's nice to see that it's not quite as bad as it was last season. Mm-hmm. I think he, you know, in that article, they do a really nice job explaining why yeah. that happens. Like why, especially last year, was a big issue, and it makes me feel a little better. Unless of course I've got a, an unlucky team, of which I have several. So <laughs> you know that that's a bummer. But it, it is Join nice club, to see buddy. that it's yeah. we might be going back a little closer to normal minus the COVID IL thing. I mean, the Astros recently got hit with it really yeah. hard. The, the, la- the only thing I really want to say about the COVID-19 IL, which is the only reason I brought this up, is that some of these stays aren't very long. So just because a guy goes on the COVID IL doesn't mean he'll be gone for 10 days necessarily. Mm-hmm. right? Now, the Astros have given us very little information, so there's not much we can do with it. But some of these guys are going to come back quick. Maybe it was vaccine symptoms. Maybe it was close contacts that just need mm-hmm. to be vetted out. Uh, So you really got to keep your ear to the ground and try to get an idea of what is going on. Try to use those IL spots smart and just know that it's not an automatic 10 day thing, Mm -hmm. right? The COVID IL does not have a minimum stay, right? we have seen plenty of players come back in a single day, miss Mm -hmm. one game. JD Martinez is a good example.
1: So just keep that in mind. Yeah. He goes on the IL and then comes back the next day and hits three bombs. So (laughs) great point on your part, but Cody Bellinger, Got some news regarding his injury on uh, Friday night and he uh, initially was on the IL with a calf contusion and now they're saying it's actually a hairline fracture in his left fibula, which sounds ominous. Took a cleat to the calf, trying to beat out an infield hit. Looks like he's going to be out at least another week or two, uh, but Dodgers really aren't confirming exactly how long he's going to be out, but the Dodgers just so deep. I mean, Let's take a look at a few guys that have been hot and a few that have been not. And uh, we'll take a look at three guys who have been hot and two of the the three guys that have been hot are Dodgers that we'll talk about. Of course, there are more. But if you look at what Justin Turner's been doing there, Scott, I mean, came into Friday's action batting 432 with four home runs and 14 runs batted in. This was a guy that was being avoided in preseason drafts. Even myself, I grabbed him in one of my leagues uh, because I had uh, neglected to grab my third baseman And I didn't really feel good about it, but I'm feeling good about it now.
2: Yeah, and you should, right? He's already (laughs) got as many home runs as he did all of last season. Now, granted, last season was short. He played 42 games then. He's got 12 games so far now, four home runs as we record, hitting 440. So I wish I could say that, like, something has changed. But as you might imagine, for a 36-year-old third baseman, it hasn't. We're not actually looking at a big change here. What we're seeing is a home run fly ball spike. Uh, A pretty normal one for him. Players go through these kinds of streaks. And, you know, I'm not going to go on the rant quite yet. I'll save it for just another hitter or two. (laughs) But um, what we're seeing right now is normal for him. It's not suggesting a real change. The plate discipline looks the same. The hard hit rates look the same. He's not showing some flashy new max exit velocity or anything like that. He just looks, he looks fine. He looks like a normal hot streak.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Max Muncy, another Dodger who's gotten off to a hot start, entered the weekend with a 366 batting average, three home runs, 10 RBI, struggled all last season, batting 192 on the season, got hot in the playoffs. Uh, another hitter who has really improved his plate discipline this season. Per StatCast, Muncy has a 9.3 chase rate and a 21.1 whiff rate, both career best so far, and I know it's early in the season. But it's really good to see him get off to a hot start.
2: It is. And actually, what's nice about it is you can kind of pinpoint what exactly is going on. Muncie has always been a really good fastball hitter and a really not good non-fastball hitter. He's hitting the not, you know, in a very small sample. He's hitting non-fastballs quite well, seeing those really well. So that's what I'm going to be watching. Of course, Muncie was drafted in every league you play in. I can't think of a single league size where he wasn't. But I'm really watching how he continues to do against non-fastballs, the breaking balls, the you know, the off-speed stuff, can he continue to hit those? Because that create if he does, right? I'm not saying he will, I'm saying if he does, that does create a new ceiling for Muncie, particularly on the batting average side. That's mm-hmm. what I'm watching for, and that's what I'm doing a lot right now this season. I'm looking for stuff that's new, something to watch for. Muncie has started well against non-fastballs. If he continues to do that for the next few weeks, I'm going to start feeling really good. I might even get aggressive, try to trade for the guy, Make people think they're selling high Mm -hmm. when really they're selling at normal price.
1: Someone was asking me in the preseason in one of my leagues for Joe Adele, and I held off. Would it be fair to offer, or maybe I'm offering too much, Joe Adele for a Max Muncie at this stage?
2: Man, that's a really interesting move. It's going to depend on exactly what your league formats are, salaries, all that. Yeah. I, I think it's really going to depend on how you feel about Joe Adele after seeing him. Now, granted, it was a poor sample we got in 2020. It did not look good. He looked mm-hmm. like a heavy strikeout guy. But I could see someone feel like, – if you if you don't believe that Muncie will continue to be this good against non-fastballs right now, this is an opportunity. You can mm-hmm. talk about how he has done much better against non-fastballs, and you can make this trade where they feel like they're you know buying at a reasonable price. With a prospect, they may feel they want to move on from, but I think it's a fair deal. Although, don't be don't be surprised if someone outright rejects it because they mm-hmm. they feel like they're selling low. Trades right. are all about perception; they're not about reality. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's a it's a manageable trade. It just depends on how on what your perception is for going on. If it's a redraft, obviously, no one's taking that. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you're the Muncie side, you're keeping Muncie because we don't even know how much Adele's is going to play this season.
1: Right. But it's an auto new league, so it's a dynasty. So. Yeah.
2: So, so you yeah. know, the salaries are going to come into play there quite mm-hmm. a bit, uh, especially because you got to deal with arbitration. But definitely something something worth thinking about, especially because there's something we can point to. And if you've been keeping your eye on Muncie a lot and you feel like something's different, go for it. Right. If you're not, if you're like me, you haven't seen Muncie much. I'm on the East Coast. Well, I'm not on the East Coast, but I'm in the Eastern time zone. Close I don't enough, get to see yeah. a lot of the Dodgers. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I I kind of have to rely on these stats, and that usually means I'm going to be a little more conservative.
1: Right. I just feel that maybe not that deal in particular, but with the injuries to uh, the outfield and with the Angels, this might be the time You know, people are starting to think that maybe Adele, Angels might give him another shot. So – Maybe his value has risen a little bit at this stage after he showed that poor performance last season and kind of his value might have taken a hit back then.
2: Yeah, I mean, the real thing to find out is can he stop striking out so darn much? (laughs) That's what we want to know. And, you know, right now he's not in triple A or double A. He's at the he's at the alternate at the alternate training site. So we have no idea. Right. So that's going to be. I mean, that's going to be be the big thing. I'd love to be able to wait until he gets into the minor leagues. If you don't feel like you can wait that long, you can take that gamble. Just know you're playing with more risk, and that's yeah. fine. Doesn't, I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying I tend to be on the conservative side, so I tend to wait just a little bit.
1: Gotcha. Well, third person on our hot list, and you mentioned if Adele could stop striking out. Well, I mean, if he faces Corbin Burns, there's a good chance that he's going to take an O for four and and strike out because Burns has been out of sight. 30 Ks, zero walks in 18.1 innings pitch. So far this season, the guy's amazing. Uh Moved to using his cutter, uh, throwing it 50% of the time. Uh, the cutter used to be a, a slider. He reworked it into a cutter, He's gained almost three miles per hour on that cutter since last season, little tweak in the way he grips the baseball. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing. Two seasons ago, he was one of the worst pitchers in the majors, one in five with an 8.82 ERA. If he keeps this up uh, next season, it's going to be him, Bieber and Cole going, you know, probably one, two, three in preseason fantasy drafts.
2: Victory lap time. That's when I traded for Corbin Burns and dynasty league. I'm in, nice. <clears throat> he was actually a throw in and the other owner has been real mad at me ever since. <laughs> uh, but you know, it happens, you know, He's not quite top 10 for me yet because Mm -hmm. it hasn't been enough time, but man, Mm -hmm. he's super close. He, he looks fantastic. Everything looks good. I think the one elephant in the room is that he might cap out at around 150 innings pitched. All Mm -hmm. I want to say to that is how many guys does anyone know for a fact will pitch more than 150 innings this season? I think that answer is pretty darn small. Mm -hmm. So I'm not worrying about it. That's a little aggressive, right? I feel like I can uh, work my way through, the rest of those innings, the extra 30 or so. But with so many question marks, I'm treating it as a, you know, a common denominator for everyone that I don't know how much they're going to pitch unless their name is like Max Scherzer and I'm not worrying about it too much. I'm not moving too many rankings unless I start thinking that it's more like 130, 140. Then mm-hmm. I start moving it. But if I think they could throw 150, 150 to 160, I feel like that's a full-time guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right, so we've talked about some guys that have been hot. Let's talk about some guys that have not that have been slumping so michael conforto new york mets outfielder uh, something's brewing here i'm just trying to figure out if it's just a slump which i have a feeling that's just it but you know because basically and you kind of when you were talking earlier you kind of just brought this to mind basically uh, when you talk about 162 game seasons got sometimes you best describe it as a series of hot streaks and slumps right so Uh, When it comes to Conforto, looked at his launch angle, hasn't changed much. But according to StatCast, line drive rate is just about half of what it was last season, which isn't a good sign. Ground ball rate is at 52.9 career high. It's early, but he has a a zero barrel rate. In my opinion, he's too good a hitter to continue this way, but it it is concerning.
2: Maybe a little. You know, it's soapbox time, so everybody strap in, you know, get get ready, (laughs) you know, kind of stretch out a little bit. Go for I want to talk. I'll, I'll talk about both guys that you had on your list for who's not hot. That's Michael okay. Conforto and Jose Abreu. Right? Mm-hmm. I want to talk about them both at the same time because on one hand, they are both looking at some fairly low points. Right, they're not doing terribly well. In Conforto's case, the contact has all just been really poor. In Abreu's case, he just doesn't seem to be able to do anything against fastballs right now. Right, uh, He's just you know not get doing the usual damage that he that he's done. <clears throat> for both of these players, I don't want you to think that these slumps are unprecedented. If you if you know anything about me, you know my love rolling charts. And if you go and look at their rolling charts, particularly in things like expected, weighted on, you know, expected WOBA, right? What you're going to see is that these guys have been this low before, right? Conforto was this bad both in 2016 and 2018 on a per 50 plate appearance basis, right? What we saw in those years is that he bounced back pretty quickly because it turns out he's a really good hitter. This is something he's able to do. He's able to make these adjustments. The things we were talking about with Acuna, other players do this too. They make adjustments. With Mm -hmm. Abreu, he was actually this bad at the end of 2019. And then he spiked way up in 2020. Another important point about Abreu's 2020, it looks like it's the best he's ever been. On a per-50 plate appearance basis, it wasn't. It was a normal high point. It just so happens that season was really short. So it only captured the high point. It didn't see anything that happens after. Every player goes through ups and downs. The thing about 2020 is that we only saw one of the two generally, right? We either saw them on an up or we saw them on a down. Right? If you are trying to isolate the thirty something plate appearances or forty something plate appearances a player has so far in 2021, you're doing yourself a giant disservice. Right? I'm gonna bring up another guy. Who's not on our list here, but it's Vlad Guerrero Jr. He's hitting the ball great. If you go and look at his year-by-year launch angle, it's like four-point-something, six-point-something, 11-point-something, and people are going, oh, man, it's a new, this is a new thing. He's got this new launch angle. It, it This is the breakout. It's ready. You need to start buying. I'm not saying he isn't breaking out. I don't know. What I will tell you is that on a... Per 50 plate appearance basis, this launch angle we're seeing is something we've seen multiple times over a 50 plate appearance sample. Multiple times over his whole career. In fact, it's not even close to the highest. Not even close. It's about as high as he's been on other streaks in 2020 and in 2019. In fact, it was even higher early on in 2019. So what I'm trying to say is this isn't this stuff that we're seeing. It's not new. Concerning? Maybe All slumps are concerning because they Mm -hmm. need to break out of them. But especially with guys with like Conforto, Abreu, guys with these long track records, we've seen them break out of them, right? They're not, importantly, at new lows. This isn't like some new low that we've not seen before. This is a low we have seen before, and we see them bounce out of quickly. Is it painful? Sure. But that's the context you want to have. Just looking at year-to-year numbers, is just that's only a few data points right? Especially when you're thinking about like launch angle. But even if you're looking at regular stats, the, a year end total for 2020 is a single data point. It's, a, it's, a, it's just an average of all of them, right? A rolling chart is hundreds of data points. Hundreds. Use those, please. Even if you feel like something has changed. I don't like change. At least keep the rolling chart in mind before mm-hmm. you do anything crazy. You got to keep that in mind because you need the context. Just looking at year end numbers is not context, right? Right, Unless they've been in the league for like 10 years, which these two guys have not, right? That's context. But the fewer the data points, the worse it is. I'm not saying you can't act on any sample. A guy like Cedric Mullins, who really is doing things we've not seen before, walking more than he ever has. We know that he made a change because he stopped switch hitting something he wasn't that good at anyway. We saw him just hit from the left side. He's seeing the ball. Fantastic. He's hitting better than ever before, even on a per 50 plate appearance sample, right? Better than ever before. That's actionable, right? That's some. That's news. That's new. Conforto, Conforto Abreu, Guerrero Jr. Not new yet. It's mm-hmm. not new. It's what we've seen before. I yeah. know this is a normal April thing, but don't overreact. If you want to react, get better context than just season average versus last year. Make sure – don't say it's the highest ever launch angle. It's not. That's not factually accurate, mm-hmm. right? If the season ended today, this would be his highest launch angle for a full season because it would barely be a season, right? It would be like 40 plate appearances, <laughs> right. right? What's the real context? Look at the look at the full picture. See how they've come up and down. Mm-hmm. This is normal. Conforto slumping. Yep, normal. Just happens to be at the beginning of the season. But I don't have any news that he's hurt. I'm not seeing any major news that he's, like, doing something differently in the box. He's just going through a slump. Same for Abreu. I'm just not seeing anything different. So, really, what what I'm trying to tell you is, for those guys, just hold. Keep going. They're going to bounce back. And we're going to be scrambling to try to figure out what happened. When, in reality, something did happen. But normal baseball stuff. Right. That's what happens. That's how these players get better and worse. It's normal baseball stuff. That's okay. Don't overreact to that look for the stuff that's truly new like the Cedric Mullins who make a change and we see new very different results even yep. on a per 50 plate appearance basis that's the takeaway look for that Conforto and Abreu not that Moncada on the other hand we were really worried about his 2020 because he went and you know we knew that he went through covid and we're like okay that's the problem the thing is he's not actually been better right this mm-hmm. is pretty much as low as he's Ever been right? It's slightly better than where he was last season, but it's not good because last season was a new low, and he's back there right now. Now I'm not trading for him because I cannot tell you that it's going to get better. Also, yeah. not selling because nobody is buying—not for mm-hmm. anything close to what I paid. But that's where I'm concerned. Guys that are as low as they've ever been. Yep. Right. A, a new low point. They're around that area. Contrary to Abreu, they're not they're normal. We've seen this a couple times. Moncada, we haven't. We only saw it last year, and it was a bad season, Mm -hmm. right? Conforto and Abreu have had good seasons and have had low points like this. Moncada has only had a bad season when he's had low points like this. That's where I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, to your point, great analysis, by the way, but Jose Abreu has typically gotten off to slow starts, so I'm I'm not as worried. Uh, and, And like you said, he has a track record. So career batting average in April through May, 266. From June to October, his career batting average is 305. So, hey, look, if you have a, a newbie fantasy player in your league panicking over a slow start, yeah, make that person an offer. I'm
2: going to make him an offer again
1: with you. And uh, when it comes to Moncada, you know, I'm, I'm with you as well. Had a nice spring, batted 302, but through his first 12 games, 191, a homer five RBI striking out at a 31.5% clip, and that's right around his career average. So yeah, I said it, you know, before his 2019 season is what we expect Moncada to be, right? That was his career season 315, 25 home runs, 10 stolen bases. His K rate was slightly better, 27.5. But in his five other big league seasons, and granted they weren't all full seasons, he's never batted above 235. So if, if I'm a Mancata owner, I'm concerned. But like you said, there's really not much you could do because his value in trades is very low.
2: It's a great point. That's what we're trying to learn. What is the outlier? Is it 2020? Did, like, did, was it a, we, we were under the assumption that real changes were made in 2019, and that was the new normal. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying maybe it's not. There's mm-hmm. evidence that it might not be. That's what should be in the back of your mind. I don't think you should do anything about it yet. But it should be in the back of your mind that that's a possible reality. We haven't seen any evidence to suggest that 2019 really is the new normal, because since then it's not been good. We had an excuse for 2020, and it was a good
1: mm-hmm. one—Covid.
2: Yes. What about 2021? That should be better, right? In theory, right? And if it's not better now, is it ever going to be? Mm-hmm. Right? We cannot answer those questions yet. Do not think I'm trying to answer that question. I'm just saying it's a potential reality. That's what's got to be in your mind.
1: Yeah. So let's move on. Everyone here who plays fantasy baseball, we're all looking for the next hot thing, right there, Scott? I mean, Jermon Mercedes is taking the league by storm. And, you know, it's a copycat league. Jermon Mercedes, an older guy, we'll say upper 20s, I think he's 28, languished in the minors, but has put up some tremendous numbers. Another guy that comes to mind, Jared Walsh, who's off to a hot start for the Angels. Uh, Batting 341, four home runs, 13 RBI. Uh, In his first 12 games of the season, had a 301 career average in the minors, also a former pitcher. I I guess he was held back in part because Albert Pujols was there, but just trying to see if we could find that next prospect who's been in the minors for a long time and enjoyed some success, who could carry over and kind of have some success in the big leagues this season. Because like I said, I mean, it's a copycat league. So, I put some guys on our list and give you your thoughts on them. Uh, Jose uh, Marma Leos, and I say that carefully because I want to make sure that I get his pronunciation of his right uh, name correct. 28-year-old prospect for the Mariners. You know, after taking a deep dive on him as after I put him on our list, I kind of regretted putting him on there, but uh, 9 minor league seasons, 288 354 48 slash put up some good power numbers in the minor leagues. And you wonder if some of that might have been fueled by that Homer happy Pacific Coast league atmosphere, struggling a little bit right now with a 33% strikeout rate, probably more of a watch list guy right now, but he's been getting regular at bats lately roster resource lists him as the Mariners left fielder, but Hey, you have Jerry uh, Jared Kalenic and Julio Rodriguez on the horizon. So if he doesn't pick up the pace future playing time may be limited.
2: Yeah, and actually I want to talk about Marmaleo's and Adolis Garcia for the Go Rangers for it. All yes. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and here's why. If you just look at the minor league slash lines, they look pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Slugging just about 500, you know, hitting well above 260 both of them. You know, mm-hmm. Garcia especially in the foreign leagues had a really nice batting average. Just looking at the slash line is misleading. The number one stat I use when reviewing guys minor league track records is wrc+. Mm -hmm. reason is because those are league-adjusted. You mentioned the Pacific Coast League, the PCL, has crazy power in it. So I don't want to know how much power he had generally. I want to know how much power he had compared to his peers. That's Mm -hmm. what WRC Plus will tell me. And for both of these guys, they were actually pretty average, right? So with Adoles Garcia, when he was in AA in 2018-2019, his WRC Plus, 95 and 88. 100 is average. Lower is worse. Right. Mm -hmm. Plenty of power, but he wasn't that good of a hitter there. Right. In for Marmaleos, he was pretty average. Right. Even though he was both of these guys were old for those leagues. Mm -hmm. Right. They Mm -hmm. should have been much better than that, but they weren't. So they both have pop. They both have worrisome strikeouts with Marmaleos. Like there's just so many reasons he could lose playing time that it's hard for me to be that interested. He's Mm -hmm. a streamer in very, very deep leagues at best. And I'm probably only looking for like platoon games. Just because I, I have no real reason to trust him for Adolis Garcia, I'm glad he's up. Right, that's cool. But the Rangers need another free swinging power only bat, like they need another hole in their head. Right, <laughs> their lineup's full of them. So, you know, I don't know how much I care that Garcia's up because he represents what's already in their lineup, and that are already like even even the guys who've been good like Nate Lowe. I- I'm worried yeah. about how they can do long term. Garcia is the same thing, but with less track record, with less pedigree. I'm just – I'm not that interested in these two because Mm -hmm. they're guys that could go on quick hot streaks and then cool off, right? Right. I like Bobby Dahlbeck better than both of them. I don't even like Dahlbeck that much for 2021, Mm. right? So like they're getting some playing time. Now, I just – I don't see how they can keep it because these teams just have other ways they could go, right? It's a little safer in the Rangers, I guess, but – It doesn't matter. It's still not very good, right? I mean, that's the same issue I have with Josh Fuentes and Jonathan Daza for the Rockies, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I didn't even look that deep at their lines, right? Because they've had some good stuff, whatever. But they're Rockies. And the Rockies are going (laughs) to screw it up. The Rockies can't manage actual – they can't manage talent that they invested in, right? They can't manage anything. Like David Dahl's a ranger now for no reason. He never did anything wrong. The Rockies just kept screwing with him. Yeah, a little injury prone too. But you're I, right. I, I guess like the Rockies just screw them, right? Yeah. Like every time we think, oh, this is the year for that Rocky, we're always wrong. Yes. Every Rocky <laughs> not named Charlie Blackman or Trevor Story right now, to me, is just another guy. Garrett Hampson can't seem to get a full time play a full time role. Ryan McMahon can't get a full time role. Right? He like gets there, Brendan but he's Rogers. I've been waiting feet. for Brendan Rodgers for years, <laughs> and he's hurt. The rock. The Rockies are just going to screw it up. And I know that it's so great to say like, okay, they're in Colorado. This is going to work out. But the Rockies screw it up. If it's their young talent that they're developing, they will screw it up. They'll be fine mm-hmm. with like vets they bring in. Like I'm not worried about CJ Krohn. But I'm worried about any Rocky that they've developed because they keep screwing it up. I have no faith in that organization. Every news article I read about them gives me more reasons not believe in it. They had like their analytics team running like janitorial services last year. It was nuts. It was nuts. <laughs> Their garbage i'm I'm not like I hope those players do well, but i I distrust the Rockies so much that I'm not interested
1: yeah, great point. Bad teams though sometimes they just want to see what they have, you know and just see if they could use them as building blocks as they try to be more competitive. but your analysis of the way the Rockies have handled their their players is spot on so uh there were a couple of the diamondbacks on here, another example of a bad team maybe trying to see what they have in the pike, uh, Wyatt Matheson, uh, Andrew Young. I mean, when it comes to Matheson, play some first base. Christian Walker's been struggling a lot this early season. Uh, Matheson started hitting for power past couple of seasons. Again, could be PCL infused, right? And uh, Andrew Young could play just about everywhere. Uh, outfield third base second base shortstop it's got some power but at this stage probably more you know watch list guys I mean you know the the reason why even they came to my attention I I look at box scores every day and I see a new new name and I just start diving a little bit maybe I could find the next hot thing
2: yeah and that that's a good I mean that's a good practice generally Mm -hmm. just like look at those box scores even if you're just curious right look to see if you see a name you don't recognize that's how I figure this out I mean that's Mm -hmm. that's really what writing the whole batter's box article, which comes out Monday mornings. That's a lot of what it's doing. Combing through those box scores, looking for interesting stuff Mm -hmm. real quick about Wyatt Matheson. I'm not super interested in the bat skills. I just want to point out this really fun fact in 2013. I'm going to talk to you about the guys that were in the pirates top 10 prospects. So in theory, having these guys should make them a lot better than they are right now. Right? Mm -hmm. So number one, Garrett Cole, number two, Jamison Tyon, number four, Gregory Polanco, number six, Wyatt, Math- Wyatt Matheson, <laughs> number seven, Josh Bell, number nine, Tyler Glasnow. That was their prospects. And here they are. They don't have any of these guys. They have Gregory Polanco. That's what's yeah. left. They have yeah. Gregory freaking Polanco. That's the guy they kept. That's why the Pirates are what they are right now. Anyway, Matthias striking out more than 35% of the time. It's really hard to succeed with that. Like, he's not chasing a lot. He just swings and misses, right? He mm-hmm. takes some called strikes, too. That makes it really tough. So, you know, he, he's really got to. It's not that he needs to improve the discipline. He just needs to get the bat to the ball, right? And I'd mm-hmm. rather have guys improving discipline than trying to get the bat to the ball because bat to the ball is like a hand eye coordination, like actual physical ability thing. Patience is a mental thing. It's easier to fix mental things than physical ones in many cases. So that's a little troubling. Uh, Andrew Young can play everywhere. But here's the thing with both of these guys right now, Christian Walker and Kettle Marte, Kettle Marte are on the IL. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Dalton Varsho is going to get called up. Their actual like top prospect guy. Out of Josh Rojas, Mathiasen, Young, and Pavin Smith, who's going to stay up? Who's up? Who's staying? If if you just take, if someone offered you bets for the under on 300 plate appearances for each of those guys, would you, if you took the under, would you win them all? I think you might win every single one. The closest (laughs) one is Rojas. He's -hmm. like the best shot. And that's far from a sure thing. He might get 300. Right? So, you might stream these guys for very short periods of time because they're hot and they have good matchups. That's it. I just think if you're trying to like lock these guys into everyday roles, you think this is a real plug on a gap on your roster. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's short term at best. And I'm probably looking elsewhere.
1: How about Michael A. Taylor for the Royals? He's been on and off my fantasy rosters over the years, kind of had fallen in love with his Power, speed, combo, like I mentioned, thirty years old through his first eleven games, two ninety-three batting average, three fifty expected batting average. Do you think that he could sustain his level of play and continue to get every day at bats in that Royals lineup?
2: Yes to all except for the batting average. Yeah. I think that's gonna come back to earth and I don't think the on base percentage is gonna be very good either, right? Those things are gonna be problems, but the speed and the power, he's always had it. He just couldn't find playing time in a, what was a very crowded Nationals outfield, right? Mm -hmm. That was really his problem. It's not like they were sending him down to the minors to work on stuff. They'd keep him up. It was just that they didn't have any place to play him, right? Especially after Juan Soto came, right? I mean, this has just been a loaded outfield for quite some time. He's on a team. They're going to let him play. There's like, you know, I think peak, there's like a 15-15 season here, right? Very playable in 15-team leagues. Mm -hmm. uh, In a three-outfield, 12-team league on Yahoo, not so much. Right, yeah, He's more I like agree. a streamer, but mm-hmm. in those 15 team leagues, there's stuff there. Uh, I like him better in batting average than on base because the batting average won't be good and the OBP will be bad. Right. But there is power and speed there. we, we were never questioning really the skills here. It was all about opportunity and he's got one. And you know, those changes he makes, that's cool. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if those changes don't make big differences, there's still 15 home run 15 stolen base upside, right? He's still got that. So yes, I'm interested in deep leagues. Uh, But, you know, do I think he's going to hit for a high average? No. Like, Mm. cool that he simplifies his swing, reduces or eliminates leg kick. That's great. But that doesn't necessarily make you get better contact. He has so far. I just wouldn't be shocked if it falls out because, again, this is not a new high. We've seen him hit better than this, right? And then it faded away. So that's kind of where I'm at with him. But, again, still plenty of upside there in a 15-team league.
1: Yeah, yeah. How about the last two dart throws I put on there? Kyle Garlick from the Twins, five home runs and 13 RBI this spring in five minor league seasons, 288, 345, 536 slash. A little risky. I I get it because of Alex Kirilov being in the mix, but Buxton having that little hamstring issue. And then I I put Andrew Stevenson for the Nationals. With Victor Robles struggling, I think they might get tired waiting for him to come around. This guy's a speedster. He's struggling a little bit, but that expecting batting average three sixty seven, really batting two twenty seven. But these are two dart throws I just threw on there.
2: Yeah, real quick on Kyle Garlick. you know, he's got three seasons in the major leagues and he's already a journeyman. Different teams mm. for each one. The biggest thing with Garlic is it's not just Kirloff I'm worried about. It's the two guys behind him that are basically the same and Trevor Larnich and Brent Rooker. Right. Mm-hmm. The only advantage Kyle Garlick has in that, like in that team, is that he's right-handed, and a lot of the outfield bats that the Twins are carrying are left-handed. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think he could be a platoon bat long term. That makes him marginally useful in a deep AL-only league, but that's it. Not really interested beyond that because there's just not room. There's players that the Twins have invested more in. There's and. You know, there's just not going to be room there at best. He's the short side of the platoon for Stevenson. You know, the thing is, let's say Robles is bad. Is there any evidence that Andrew Stevenson will be better? He's not as good of a fielder. He's at best as good as a hitter. Right. And probably not. Right. One thing that was weird is that he stopped running in the minors after 2016 and guys usually run like crazy down there. So that was worrisome. Right. He would need a full time job to be NL only viable. That's what would need to happen. I don't think that's going to happen for Andrew Stevenson. So I don't think he'll be NL only viable, which means he's not. Mm -hmm. Period. So, you know, you can worry about those roles. The outfield for the Nationals is still crowded. Andrew Stevenson is going to be a part-time player at best. And there's just nothing there. I know we want to find the next big thing. Yes, we do. (laughs) There's a reason we couldn't predict German Mercedes, right? Right, right. They These players have to force themselves into time, often with skills we have not seen before. That's what, like, Cedric Mullins is doing. Skills we haven't seen before. Jerman Mercedes doing stuff that, like, he hasn't really done before and that his team can't do anything about. They would much rather be having, probably, Andrew Vaughn playing every day, but Mm -hmm. they can't. You cannot sit Jerman Mercedes right now, so that's creating the problem there, so... I, I just don't see what we got to keep watching for is who's doing something they've not done before. Mm-hmm. Who's doing something truly unique. How, like what is the path to this player forcing playing time? You know, good Kyle garlic has to be to get into that outfield. Unbelievably good. <laughs> you no, know, you know, good. Andrew Stevenson has to be, he has to beat out Victor Robles. Who's a good fielder. Mm-hmm. Right. A guy with like 25, like 20 home run, 25, stolen base upside. There's, I just don't see the path to being that good, right? Euron Mercedes, on the other hand, there was a bit of a question mark. I'm like, yeah, Vaughn, but he's never really played much above A, And then they've got Zach Collins. They don't really know that he's any good. So Yurman Mercedes sees an opportunity that was open. Unfortunately, a lot of the guys we're talking about right now don't have that. They don't have right. this open opportunity to grab, right? Like, it was good for Walsh because Pools doesn't need to be playing every day anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and he could find his, his way in, but you know, a lot of these other guys, there's just not an opportunity to steal. I mean, Taylor found an opportunity. He can start mm-hmm. there. He's a good fielder, whatever, but garlic Stevenson, uh, you know, the guys with the Rockies, cause nobody can get playing time there. Fuentes, right. Adoles Garcia, Jose Marmoleos, who, you know, it's only a matter of time till better guys come up. The, the amount of performance that they have to achieve to carve out full-time roles. That's going to be really hard. Quite mm-hmm. frankly, it's the same problems I have with Kyle Lisbell, also a Royal, mm-hmm. right? He's only had 52 games in high A, zero games anywhere else. And he's striking out 48.3% of the time. He can be as hot as he wants. I don't see how he fends off like Hanser Alberto or Jared Dyson for very long. Mm-hmm. He has to be as good as a seasoned pro, and he is far from it. Could he do it? Sure. The the chances to me, less than 10%, probably 5 one in 20 that he's able to continue any kind of performance that makes him a must play even for the Royals, right? Zach McKinstry for the Dodgers, same thing, right? The power is kind of cool, but where's this playing time going to come from? There are four lefties on the Dodgers bench, McKinstry, Matt Beattie, Edwin Rios, Luke Rayleigh, right? Bellinger, another lefty is on the IL. He is going to come back sooner rather than later, right? So Bellinger comes back to play center field. Chris Taylor moves back to the bench, rotates with like AJ Pollock, Gavin Lux at second. It's gonna do some of that stuff. Then what? The the Dod- like the Dodgers don't. They're not gonna to try to run out nine lefties every single day, right? Like they can't mm-hmm. do that. Where how does McKinstry McKinstry earn playing time? That's outplaying Gavin Lux, Chris Taylor, Cody Bellinger. Good luck, right? The guys he has to outplay are really really good. Right? How does McKinstry do that? It's a cool short term story how he like he needs either a guy like Pollock to hit the I.L. for a considerable period of time, which he's done before, which say. he has done before. <laughs> yes. uh-huh. But that I mean, he needs something like that to happen. Right. I, my bench spots are tied up with covid-19 guys and mm-hmm. like big, like bigger names. Yep. I can't be sitting around hoping another guy gets hurt because if those guys don't get hurt, McKinstry plays twice a week at best. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the problem. Now, one guy who has earned some time, carved out a real role, won a job, Phil Evans. Yeah. Right? Over at the Pirates. Mm -hmm. A couple things about this. Number one, the Pirates are not going to keep scoring runs like this. Their offense isn't this good. If you don't believe me, go look. Go look (laughs) at that offense. Go tell me who's going to hit 20 home runs in that offense. Just tell me. Right? There might be someone, but it's not easy. Not Mm -hmm. easy to pick out who that's going to be. Right? What I like about him, though, and why I actually like him more than these other guys, it's not talent; it's opportunity. Mm-hmm. There's no reason he can't keep hitting second for this lineup. That's not super exciting, but in deep leagues, Phil, Phil Evans is going to play. Yep. He's going to score a modest amount of runs. He can be okay. I mean, granted, to what end, right? Like to what end? This is not a this is not a big time skills guy, but in like an NL only league, this is a really useful play. Probably more yes. so than any of the other guys. More so than Isbell more so than McKinstry, more so than Stevenson, more so than Garlic, right? I like Phil Evans above all of them just because he's going to play. And yeah. I know when he's going to play, and I know that when he plays, he's going to get multiple at-bats in a game because he bats second. He's not batting ninth or some garbage where he has to hit a home run to do good things. Phil Evans is going to bat second. It's probably best used as a DFS play against you know bad pitchers, but mm-hmm. at least he can do something. He's got a role. Until these other guys even – like these other guys have to outplay – really good players to earn part-time jobs. There's only so many times that happens in a season. There's only so many. I mean, like Akil Badu won a job that was fairly open, right? He had to beat out like Victor Reyes. He had to beat out um, Jacoby Jones, Nomar Mazzara. Young players can beat those guys. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially when they when they go on a tear like he has. So his downside now is that he's gonna, you know, maybe maybe become a platoon player like Isbell, right? Yeah, my big problem is I don't like guys who have no double A experience. Mm-hmm. They've not seen pitchers like this. Statcast also thinks a lot of what he's done is a mirage. Hansel Alberto's an interesting player. He hit two ninety. Like he's been a decent major league bat, right? Mm-hmm. Gerard Dyson, he's got great speed. He's a good fielder. Right? Like, that's as bad as I want the players to be that Isbell has to overtake. And that's going to be real hard when you never play double-A. McKinstry's got to beat one of the most stacked lineups in all baseball. Yeah. Good luck, dude. I hope you do, <laughs> but you won't. Right? Phil Evans, he's already got a job. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I'm talking a lot here, but that's what No, really no, it's great stuff. When you're looking, don't just look at the streak. Look at the path to the future. You don't get mm-hmm. the stats that this guy earned on the wire. You need to find out what stats you're going to earn later and how long Mm -hmm. you can get them. If you just need a weekly stream, sure, right? McKinsey's going to go against a bunch of right-handed pitchers maybe and a couple guys are still on the IL, sure, right? Fine. But if you're looking at this as a long-term play, I think you're mistaken. Mm -hmm. Evans is a short-term fill-in in in deep leagues at like middle infield in a 15-teamer, maybe, right? Because he's hot and he's got weak matchups. That's fine. But it's not beyond that because his team's bad and he's not that good. Isbel, I'm not even buying. I'm not spending resources on it because Mm -hmm. to what end? To watch him strike out half the time, hit a couple more soft singles that barely get over the infield? No thanks. I'll look elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. I'm in on Evans. I also like his versatility right now. He's getting a lot of playing time because Brian Hayes is on the IL, but Obviously, Evans is playing third base, can play the outfield, has played second base, first base in his career. And, and like you said, I think he has a good path to every day at bats and, and great point that he's hitting at the top of that lineup too. But uh, Zach McKintry, I get what you're saying, great points. I'm a little bit more optimistic on him also because he's a little bit uh, – he's got some versatility, he can play basically all over the field as well, some short, shortstop, second base outfield. But you're right. It is a lefty stacked lineup. Going to be tough to get some regular bats once Bellinger comes back. But Dave Roberts, I was watching an interview of him last week. He compared him to Chase Utley, and if you remember Chase Utley in his prime, he was a very good player. So, and you know, I mentioned Pollock has had issues where he's he's been injured. Do you really think that Taylor is that much better than McKinstry, or maybe he has the uh, you know, he, he's done it before. Is that why you like him that much better than McKinstry?
2: Chris Taylor's right-handed. And mm-hmm. I asked the question the other way, is McKinstry better than Chris Taylor? Chris Taylor's yeah. had good seasons too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What, what reason do they have? And they've got plenty of lefties. I mean, I was worried enough coming into the season about Gavin Lux's playing time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What makes you think I'm not worried about Zach McKinstry's playing time? <laughs> Gavin Lux is one of the top prospects in baseball. McKinstry is not. I was worried about Lux's playing time. Mm-hmm. right and it's in terms of the versatility like they if you go go look at roster resource four of the guys on that on that bench are <laughs> infield outfield they can play they got a bunch of guys that play anywhere half their roster can play anywhere right they can play any places like their whole roster can play i just have an amazing
1: roster so deep,
2: <laughs> they <laughs> can all play everywhere like <laughs> right. McKinstry's just like if this was any other team i'd be a lot more excited but for mm-hmm. the Dodgers, he's just a guy. He's just <laughs> another guy. Yeah.
1: Well, that wraps it up. Great stuff as always uh, from Scott. Great analysis this week, there, Scott. We want to thank you for allowing us to visit with you as always. We hope that you were informed and entertained, because that's our goal. Are you not
0: entertained? Are you not
1: entertained? You could follow me on Twitter at Joe Galena. Follow Scott at if the chew fits. Follow our podcast at at Hacks and Jacks PL, And you could follow the at Picture List Pods on Twitter. And uh, you'll be informed anytime that a new episode drops for any of the great podcasts that are on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Subscribe to our podcast, Hacks and Jacks, on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a stellar five-star review. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. Have a great week.